0: We want to meet the administration's goals of, you know, 100% clean energy power grid. Uh, that is going to require almost a quadrupling of the workforce within this next 10 years.
1: This is the Contractors Corner podcast series from Solar Power World. Hi there. I'm Kelsey Misbrenner, managing editor of Solar Power World Magazine, and I'm coming at you with another episode of Contractors Corner um, for May. This year is moving right along. One of the things top of mind this month for me, at least, is the supply chain crisis. We've been reporting on it for a few months now, maybe longer and I didn't really feel the crunch in my own life. I know the solar industry has been struggling big time, trying to get supplies um, in a lot of other industries. And when I ended up needing a new car this month, I was right there with everybody else. Um, I could not believe how near impossible it was to find a vehicle that is not marked up like crazy right now. ended up going with a lease option because I could not bring myself to buy another combustion engine for the next 15 or so years. So I'm really hoping after the lease is up, there will be a plethora of affordable hybrid and EVs available because right now uh, I think a lot of people want hybrid cars because of the gas prices. So it's just all of these factors interconnected made it a very bad time to need a new car, but um, just really, really hoping that the options are better in a few years. Same with induction stovetops. I am really interested in getting one of those, but they are also very expensive right now. So I'm just hoping all of these things become much more affordable to um, the average home owner in the next couple of years so that we can really do our part without breaking the bank. So that's my little tidbit for this month. Some other stuff happening in the solar space. Florida was waiting on a very big decision with uh, the net metering bill on Governor Ron DeSantis' desk. He really shocked the industry and decided to veto the bill, um, saying that Floridians are already feeling the high inflation and gas prices and everything else. So he did not want to add to that burden with fees for solar customers. So that was one good thing as we wait for the Department of Commerce to issue their preliminary decision on the anti-dumping case that was brought to them by Oxen Solar. In the news over there, a couple of governors have come forward and asked the Department of Commerce to move quickly on a decision there because the solar industry has clearly told those governors that the uncertainty is making business very hard. So, so far, Governor Gavin Newsom wrote a letter to the Department of Commerce, and then the governor of Indiana Also wrote a wrote a letter. And so some Midwest representation there is cool. I'm taping this in the beginning of May. So by the time of release, there may be even more governors stepping forward. I'm sure the industry advocates are working hard to get these governors to comment on this case. So those are the big top-line issues right now. Otherwise, we at Solar Power World are working on our OM issue that's coming out in May. And we've got a special section devoted to O&M of mostly large-scale solar sites. So everything from the best solar cleaning devices to how to repower sites that are that have gone down and when to call in a specialized O&M crew. That's what we have been working on and of course we by the time this is published, we'll be closing the top contractor's application in one week and get to work on that issue. Again, that's one of our, one of our huge efforts throughout the year. Kelly, our editor in chief takes the lead on that and she does a great job. So keep a lookout. We will be publishing that issue in July in the full list. And thank you to everyone who applied this year. So moving forward into our interview this month, we've got a little bit of a different interviewee. It is not a contractor, but it is very applicable to the solar market, especially utility-scale solar. This month we'll be talking with some folks from IREC and from the University of Central Florida. They're here to talk to us about a very important issue in the industry, which is increasing the availability of apprenticeships. Now, other industries, like obviously plumbing, electrical, have very well-established apprenticeship programs, but the solar industry does not yet. And that is one huge pipeline for jobs and to help with the labor shortage that we're also experiencing. So some uh, forward-thinking people in certain states have went ahead and set up apprenticeship programs because their states do allow it. So we will just get filled in on the importance of pushing these programs and the importance of being recognized by the Department of Labor officially. Having apprenticeships in this field is just crucial. So that is what we have coming up. And I hope you enjoy this this month's conversation and maybe learn some things about how to get this started in your community or the the, uh, area that you work in. I hope that you enjoy this episode and I thank you again for tuning in. Hey everybody, I am here with some special guests today. I'm with Richard Lawrence. He is the program director at IREC and Colleen Kettles, who is director of workforce and business development at the University of Central Florida. So welcome you two. Thanks for joining me. Kelsey, thanks. Thanks for having us. So we're doing something a little different this month. Um, We're not talking to a contractor per se, but we're talking about a topic that is of high importance to contractors, especially probably the large-scale utility contractors, and that is apprenticeships. I kind of just want to start off by learning what are the basics about apprenticeships and also registered apprenticeships, and why is it important to the solar industry?
0: Great, I'll start off, thanks. So apprenticeships are an age-old way to train somebody in a job, right? Uh, It is, uh, apprenticeship involves uh, where somebody who has uh, experience doing a job, it trains another person in an on-the-job environment. Uh, And then a registered apprenticeship is an apprenticeship that meets certain criteria of the US Department of Labor or a state apprenticeship agency. Uh, That also includes the requirement that they are an employee. It's a paid on-the-job experience. Uh, They are getting that training on the job. Uh, Registered apprenticeships do also require related instruction. So they have to receive training, uh, classroom instruction outside of the work environment. Um, And there's that mentorship period. Um, They do have to be at least one year in length. And typically, it's at least 144 hours of time. And often, you'll see those registered programs being two, three, four years uh, or more even to train in that occupation. It really depends on what that job is and what it takes to learn uh, what it is. There's over a thousand occupations that are currently apprenticeable in the United States. And so there's lots of different options for doing that. Obviously, there's a few in the solar industry we're looking at. And, um, we, we think there's a lot of opportunity for this model to be used in the industry.
1: OK, I mean, solar has been an industry for at least 15 years where the, the job growth has been staggering, and more and more people are wanting to get into green careers. So why is solar not yet recognized by the Department of Labor?
0: I'll start with that one, then I'll let Colleen talk about what they've been able to, to do there in Florida. To get any industry to be able to have a registered apprenticeship, the first is that the occupation needs to be recognized as apprenticeable. Uh, While the occupation of the solar installer, in particular, is one occupation there, um, is not yet recognized as apprenticeable. There there are others uh, in the industry that that are, uh, certainly electricians, uh, a lot of people are familiar with, and that's one of the largest apprenticeship programs in the country. Um, There's other job roles as well that are apprenticeable, like project manager as well. So there's there's opportunities to use that across the industry. But uh, right now, solar installer is not recognized. uh, we are working to change that, but there are other ways, you know, people can train their electricians, they can train uh, towards the solar installer using an other not- occupation, such as a laborer uh, or uh, another, like a home performance technician. There's some other categories that could work too. And Colleen, if you want to talk about uh, getting solar installer in, so nationally, we we're not able to register. It's not recognized nationally, but in Florida, they were able to get it recognized there.
2: Yeah, so Florida is fortunate in that we are one of the states that can register an apprenticeship program with the Department of Labor. So our apprenticeship program was approved in February of, of this year, and we've been working on it since about, I would say, October of last year. And as Richard said, you know, solar for ages has not been appren- apprenticeable. I mean, I started working in the industry very early on in the 80s when we had solar thermal. And even then, uh, the Department of Labor said it was not an apprenticeable trade. And so we were able to get our uh, Florida Department of Education, which is our apprenticeship agency for Florida, to approve um, the solar apprentice, it's the solar energy technicians, the name of the apprenticeship. It is two occupational codes blended into a single Apprenticeship program. So we took the solar thermal as well as the PV installer under the ONET codes, which is the Department of Labor database of all occupational titles. And we blended that into a single two year apprenticeship program. Um, as Richard said, 144 hours a year of classroom instruction, 2000 hours a year of on the job training. And i think we were very fortunate and that florida has a solar contractor license that includes both thermal and pv and i think they recognized that as uh, something that the apprenticeship could strive for and so we made the case that it was certainly apprenticeable at least in florida
1: richard you contributed a story to our website about this topic and something that stood out to me in that story was that um, in Florida, the union worked with Colleen, your organization to get this solar um, technician apprenticeship started. Now, in the solar industry, there's typically some friction between unions and solar installers. So it kind of tell me more about how that partnership worked out in Florida.
2: Yeah, so in Florida, the central Florida uh, IBEW, Uh, runs their Joint Apprenticeship Training Committee, and Jim Sullivan, who has led that program for decades, uh, was very familiar with the training that the Solar Energy Center does. He was actually part of the uh, Solar Training Network, Solar Instructor Training Network that IREC hosted for many, many years, and so he uh, was very supportive of solar. They include solar instruction in their electrical apprenticeship program and so when we decided to start looking into setting up the program we invited Jim to participate and he was gung-ho and so I think we were very very fortunate just to have someone who recognized the value of having a a singular solar apprenticeship program outside of the uh, electrical trade so I think we were very fortunate so you mentioned that some roles in the solar
1: field are already apprenticeable why is it so crucial that solar technicians or installers are added to that like what are the benefits to a, a person working in the field?
0: yeah so there's a lot of benefits to both the employee as well as the employer for having a registered apprenticeship program uh, to, to train the workforce uh, so starting with the employee is, um, that they are an employee <laughs> first, you know. First off the bat, there, while they're getting trained in that job, uh, they are actually getting put, getting paid a wage, um, and that wage then has to be progressively increased uh, during that apprenticeship time. So, uh, and the, you know, benefits the employer there. They do get that employee doing productive work um, that they can pay a lower wage during the apprenticeship period. Uh, And that, again, builds uh, during as they increase their training and knowledge and skills, uh, the employee benefits by a greater wage and the employer benefits by obviously having a more skilled employee. Uh, The employer benefits carry on with that skilled person uh, to have lower safety uh, or or higher safety performance, uh, to be more productive and be a more efficient use of their time and uh, and also uh, to be much more dedicated uh, have lower turnover with that as well because they see that the company has uh, committed to them and committed to their training and uh, really wants to grow you know together and so uh, you tend to see a lot uh, higher yeah, increased in in uh, or lower turnover with people that have gone through apprenticeship programs there's a study that we reference in the article that Uh, was done a few years ago, but by the Construction Industry Institute, and they found that employers who participate in these types of programs can see a net investment uh, return on that investment of between $1.30 and $3 uh, for every dollar that they put into training. Um, They see that those types of returns in those lower, you know, lower turnover, higher productivity, uh, the, the you know, things like that, being able to get better uh, skills out of the person. So uh, there's lots of benefits. The last one, I'd say, well, two more actually. So access to tax credits and uh, potentially wage reimbursements and other incentives that go through our workforce development system, uh, either through the federal or the often the state and local levels are the, you know, over the last decade or so, I'd say, if not a little more, the, the government's really focused a lot of the workforce development issue... Uh, activities through the apprenticeship system and so in order to access those incentives uh, which could include upwards of you know 75 percent wage reimbursements uh, for certain populations participating program for a period of time so you know thousands of dollars per employee there's you know training incentive funds that can go to support uh, some of the, the related technical instruction uh, and tax credits in certain areas where Uh, The state offers tax credits to hiring people in those in those types of industries. So uh, lots of investments there. And and final thing I'll say is the reason why we're we're focused on this with our current effort is the uh, is the Solar Ready Vets Network is the project we're working on with the Department of Energy and uh, registered apprenticeships are just one of the best ways to get veterans into any job out there. Uh, a veteran is able to access their GI Bill housing allowance uh, if they're in a registered program, which can, it depends on location, but it can be thousands of dollars a month that that uh, veteran is then able to get because they're in that type of training program. So that's why we really want to bring registered apprenticeships uh, to the industry and, and have them be utilized more often.
1: It's interesting you mentioned the potential state tax credits for apprenticeships. In the Build Back Better bill that is now stalled, they actually had apprenticeships as one of the ways to get the full ITC the way it was written. So this seems like something that's of interest at the federal level too.
0: Yeah, we saw a lot of interest from uh, employers when that draft legislation was out. Uh, We do expect to see more uh, bills like that, both at the state and federal level. Uh, There are things that we're seeing in terms of, you know, increased labor standards that are being incorporated into some of these new legislations. And so, yeah, that draft was that uh, any system above one megawatt in order to get the ITC, it would have to have um, a minimum percentage of the labor performed on the job to be in an apprenticeship uh, program. And so we started, you know, definitely started looking at, all right, how are employers going to deal with this, Um, you know, we see other areas where this may start coming into the state level too. So, um, you know, apprenticeships, definitely the government is is saying, you know, recognizing it's a great tool for workforce development, and they're using that as a way to uh, improve labor standards and, and, uh, you know, tie that to the incentives that are out there.
1: Definitely. And of course, we'll be curious to see if any of the uh, items from that draft make it through eventually in some form, but time will tell on that. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by American Wire Group. American Wire Group is your single source supplier for wire, cable, and accessory solutions for the power transmission, distribution, substation, solar, wind, and battery energy storage markets. American Wire Group is empowering a better world. Learn more at buyawg.com. That's B U Y A W G.com. This podcast is also brought to you by DCE Solar, known for superior quality and cutting-edge design. DCE Solar is driven by a desire to exceed standards for quality, safety, and performance in today's rapidly expanding solar energy market. With industry-leading ground and rooftop racking systems, DCE Solar is your solution for commercial and utility-scale projects. Learn more at dcesolar.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Scanafly. Want to survey more sites per day? Searching for better accuracy? There's nothing more frustrating than showing up on install day, and the layout does not fit. Scanifly's survey and design platform solves these problems. Scanifly, the only drone-based solar software, will help you survey three to five times more projects per day, while getting perfectly accurate measurements and minimizing roof time. New to drones? Contact them on their website and take their free course to become a solar drone pilot today at scanofly.com backslash surveyor-associate-program. Now back to the show. Colleen, do you have advice for other states from your experience building this program in Florida? Um, I'm sure there's other states that are able to create such programs. So what would you say for them?
2: Yeah, I think Richard referenced in his article that how many states there are that, that are um, self-approving apprenticeship program administrators. I guess my the, the uh, apprenticeship programs are really employer driven. And so I think the first step is to not for an educational provider like the Florida Solar Energy Center to try and set up an apprenticeship program of their making uh, in isolation that you actually get the employers involved and get them to identify what their needs are. And so we, that, that really was a huge step for us, because initially we were going to have two distinct apprenticeship programs, one for thermal, one for PV. But they said, no, you know, our crews do it all. You know, if we put in a solar pool heater, that same person the next day might be putting in a PV system. And that's the same way our solar contractor license works. So definitely employer engagement is number one. The other is to engage with the educational providers in in your community. Um, Oftentimes it's it's actually the K-12 system that can provide the related technical instruction uh, without the employer or the apprenticeship having, or the apprentice having to pay the tuition. The state actually funds the program through the K-12 funding formula. It's different at the state and community college level where they charge tuition, uh, but they also can undertake an apprenticeship program. And I believe we do have a couple of community colleges around the country that have started an apprenticeship program maybe back in the 90s, um, but they, they, they are no longer being offered. So employer engagement, educational provider engagement, and get with your apprenticeship training representative. So, we would not be finished today if we had not engaged with our apprenticeship training representative they walk you through the process tell you exactly what you have to do hold your hand then once it's approved. They onboard you and help you the whole way because they want you to succeed, because they have succeeded in that case so. that's what I would suggest.
1: Okay, and when did you guys start this program you said just got approved this year.
2: Uh, We started working on it last year, I want to say maybe in the fall, and um, we worked on it. We had meetings every week um, with the apprenticeship committee, which the apprenticeship committee are the employers because the the employers own the program. And we submitted it for approval right after, uh, I think, right, right before the end of the year and we got the notice that it was approved on February 12th. And so now we're gearing up for launching the program. We have eight current uh, employers participating, and uh, we know that that number will grow dramatically once we really start promoting the program.
1: Does it take a big PR push to get people to know that this program exists? Is that part of your plan too?
2: Well, it is part of our program, but right now we're being very cautious about pushing it out. In fact, we after Richard's article, we uh, the Florida Solar Energy Center, as you mentioned, is part of the University of Central Florida. And so we put together a press release and they had all kinds of questions for us before they would issue it, like, well, who can participate and how do they sign up and, you know, those types of questions. And we said, well, we really don't want to answer those questions yet because we do have this core group that are ready to go and we wanna make sure that we're gonna be successful. And so we're, we're gonna be doing the first cohort with this small group of employers and see how it goes, tweak it, and um, hopefully then open it up to anybody that wants to participate.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, so still early days. Yes. Richard, what is the road ahead for actually getting this nationally recognized?
0: Sure, so the key piece with uh, apprenticeships in the construction trades is that we do need to have consensus with uh, all the stakeholders, which includes uh, the independent contractors associations, it includes the union shops, and uh, then obviously the employers. And so uh, there's definitely questions as we look at the solar installer as an occupation. Uh, as to what is the scope of that. You know, it's definitely a different job role on a utility scale job than it is on a residential scale system. And so there's some, you know, there's definitely some questions in terms of what does this look like if you're trying to train someone in this job and they would have the same credential, whether they work for this company over here doing this type of work or, you know, this type of company in another state doing another type of work. So we want to make sure that uh, that consensus is reached. So we're doing a lot of outreach to. The industry uh, to the unions and trying to come together on on some agreement there. So, answering those questions about the scope of the occupation, and then we start to get into some details around uh, how much, you know, what type of training then is involved uh, at different stages and how long it will last. Uh, You know, there's various questions like that. Some of the key reasons as well why we're looking at this as a, a separate apprenticeship is the need to move quickly and some of the other apprenticeship programs. Uh, some of the challenges that employers have faced with for instance electricians is that it's a it's a four or five year program sometimes and the ratios are one to one person. so you have one trained uh, person and you know there's some differences in different areas but generally it's it's that one to one mentoring ratio. and so it takes four years to train that that next person to train the next person. Uh, and so that that is not going to meet the uh, growth demands that the industry has. If we want to meet the administration's goals of you know, 100% clean energy power grid, uh, that is going to require almost a quadrupling of the workforce within this next 10 years. And so you can't do that with a one-to-one ratio of a, of a four-year timeframe. And so we're looking, you know, the industry does need some solutions to uh, be able to, you know, not not shortcut the training, uh, not short shift the training, uh, but to train somebody in the the role that they're doing adequately uh, and to do it with a process that's going to be able to move faster and train more people uh, than the current electrician system does. That makes sense. So
1: after you get with that round table of, of people, then you would submit to the Department of Labor your design for the program?
0: Yeah, and you know, there are other options to, uh, like I said, there's some other occupations that may make sense to register it under. That would be an easier uh, process because that occupation's already approved. So there's there's some like, uh, particularly in, you know, the home level, there's the home performance laborer, uh, which is somebody that, you know, often does sort of weatherization or insulation type work, but could be modified to do more of a, a, a construction assistance. Um, but if you Problem that I think as, as you get into electrical is the electrical trades tend to then be uh, those longer programs and so it's where's the line in in, in the electrical work um, different places have set that line in in different areas some states like Florida uh, have a license that is uh, theirs is a separate contractor license that that they can do all the electrical work uh, there's others where it's a limited electrical license. And uh, they're also again recognized as an electrician role, and those programs have been able to train, uh, you know, in a two-year time frame, uh, both in uh, re- either for focusing on residential, having a, like a residential wireman job uh, occupation class, or, or a you know a different type of technician uh, that is allowed to do some electrical work. So okay. it's possible there's some other examples out there.
1: <laughs> in addition to veterans. Are you guys talking about how you can make these apprenticeships available to a more diverse set of, of apprentices?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, veterans are sort of what's brought us to this because we have a project through the Department of Energy to get more veterans into the industry. And, and it's recognized that uh, apprenticeships are a great way to get veterans in any industry uh, but any program would not be limited or have a focus necessarily on veterans. Uh, that's another benefit that I mentioned is, or didn't mention, is actually does help to increase diversity. So being a registered program, one of the criteria of that is you do have to have uh, various diversity goals, and you have, and they have to, you have to be non-discriminatory in all of your, you know, practices there. So it does help force that in some ways. And so we, we we certainly see apprenticeships as a great way to bring a more diverse group. It provides that training while they're on the job, it helps to eliminate some of that barrier of instance, having to get a degree and, and put up a lot of money before actually being employed. Uh, so we do see it as a great way to get, um, you know, a, a lot more diverse candidates into the industry. Colleen, if you have any more on that.
2: <laughs> yeah, actually, we when you're a first year apprenticeship program, you don't have to uh, indicate how many minorities and other populations you have in the program, because obviously the program has just started. You don't have anybody in it, but you do have to set aspirational goals. And so in order to establish those goals, we surveyed the participating employers and um, surprisingly, or maybe not, the least represented group were women, and so we are doing well with minorities and youth, um, but we have zero women in, that are that would be eligible for the apprenticeship program currently working in the industry. So, uh, we do have a woman-owned company as one of the participating employers, and so, and all of our employers expressed a desire to see more women in the industry. So. But yeah, as Richard said, you do have to establish goals and you will be measured on your success and how you, whether or not you've achieved those goals.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, not surprising, Colleen, but I mean, programs like this, every, every little thing helps to bring more people in. All right. Any, any other thoughts on, on apprenticeships and the solar industry and why they need to be good
2: friends? Um, I just wanted to make one comment about, you know, the overall benefits of the apprenticeship program, and it really ultimately is consumer protection. One of the one of the projects that I worked on early on was a consumer protection project that DOE funded, and we learned that the trades that were licensed to install solar were doing the worst job of all because there were there was no solar license at the time. It was a new industry. And so the electrical, um, at the time it was really more solar thermal. So th- the trades that were licensed and authorized by the local authorities having jurisdiction to pull a permit, they did not know what they were doing. It was new to them. and But the people that were in the solar industry that were practicing and, and l- learned from each other, they were doing a good job. And that's really what pushed for the creation of a solar contractor license but the value of the training and having someone with credentials doing the work is that your warranty on your system equipment is not going to be any good if it's not installed properly and so having an apprenticeship program where the industry specifies what training is needed there's you know rigorous on-the-job training required that ultimately is going to benefit the consumer whether it's a homeowner or a business uh, regardless it, it's really going to make sure that that system is is installed properly and that investment is protected so that's that's one of the other benefits of an apprenticeship
0: anything else yeah, Richard? But yeah but so there you know there's certainly some misconceptions about apprenticeships it's it's very much been uh the the most successful apprenticeships have been like union apprenticeships over the years but uh there's really a push to bring those to new occupations to new industries new trades they're growing in the medical industry you have in the manufacturing and other trades and so in business professions as well there's lots of opportunity uh really is employer driven as as colleen said and there's there's variety of options for running programs too an employer can sponsor the program themselves can deliver all the own related training themselves as well Uh, as we've seen as Solar Power World's presented on with um, revision energy, uh, with electrician programs up in the Northeast. Uh, So it's possible to do it themselves. It's possible to partner with an educational institution that may be the sponsor uh, or a community-based association. There's lots of options, uh, and that's one thing I wanna let people know. Uh, We did talk about we're continuing to work with the industry to move these forward. We're looking for uh, participants. We have a link uh, in the article on the site uh, to a survey so if you're interested in learning about this or if you're interested in participating in this consensus process uh, i can give you a, a shortened link uh, here is bit.ly/solar-apprenticeships so just a shortened link bit.ly/solar-apprenticeships and that'll take you to the short uh, to our survey get a little information about how much uh, you might be interested in this, uh, what types of job roles you're hiring for, and uh, so we can include you in the process going forward. We really like to get some more people, of unions, non-unions, uh, anybody involved uh, this that wants to train their workforce.
1: That's great. I'll, I'll include that link in the um, show notes too, so that people have it. All right. Well, thank you both so much for your time and for enlightening, enlightening me on this topic. Excited. Thank ahead. you so much. This has been another edition of Contractors Corner. Join us each month as I talk to solar contractors across the country. Thanks for listening to this Solar Power World podcast. Visit us online at solarpowerworldonline.com for more great featured content and breaking solar news. See you back here next month.